Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today our scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This verse tells us that we need to pray for everyone. We need to especially pray for our national leaders, our political leaders, but also it says for all men. We need to have supplications. We need to ask God to help us. We need to praise the Lord. We need to give thanks to the Lord for all his blessings and benefits. And we need to remember those who are helpless and hopeless that they would come to faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I trust that this week will be a special week in all of our lives as we pray for our political leaders and for those who need the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studios some wonderful missionaries uh, from India. They've been with Global Outreach Mission over 18 years. We have Asher and Miriam. Their son Sam are in our studio today. And Miriam has uh, quite a quite a ministry with sewing machines, but I think Asher is the one that's going to tell us about it because he speaks English a little bit better. So Asher, why don't you tell us about how the sewing machine ministry got started by uh, Miriam there? As we carry on the gospel preaching, we have seen the destitute women, especially from Dalit and Gypsy villages, they are more of workaholic, looking for the daily wages work. And we came with a plan and we prayed to God uh, if we can open uh, sewing centers for these destitute ladies. We announced it in a particular village that we are going to have a sewing center, free sewing center for the ladies. And uh, there was 15 ladies uh, we recruited and every day, three hours, Miriam uh, given training to them, uh, during which time she also was able to preach the gospel to them. And we announced to them that uh, by faith, we will give each lady a sewing machine, end of the program. And we were able to do it. Uh, the Global Outreach Mission Office have sent uh, 15 machines uh, support. We bought those machines and we have given them with a certificate. We have seen to come of that a great testimony went into that region. Uh, in the in their inly in-laws families, 
they were able to be a testimony where that was a downtrodden people they those who need to work as a daily work daily wages workers but uh, here is the the lady sitting with a sewing machine and stitching the clothes for others and getting earning okay, to live on and that uh, i have given a boasting in that particular lady's life where they can have a good reputation in the in-laws family and especially the girls the ladies were able to earn little bit through through the sewing centers and uh, they got the sewing machine and they they came to know the lord jesus as their personal savior through the centers we mean to say it is a a great ministry to reach out these destitute women with the gospel through the way of sewing centers and you were also sharing with me that um, even single ladies who go through this program and upon graduation get their sewing machine are able to have a, a better marriage. They were able to uh, leverage the fact that they have skills, which uh, would reduce the dowry that uh, their family might have to pay and also allows them the fact that they could marry someone maybe in a higher caste because they have uh, skills and so it helps them economically in the future. But the greatest thing about this is that the people that come through the, the sewing centers not only get some skills, but they find the Lord Jesus and they become witnesses for him. Yeah. We right now, Miriam also holding the uh, sewing center. And after we go to India, we may have to give sewing machines, about 12 machines we need it. In the month of June, we pray that uh, the Lord may provide so that we can give to them and bless them with the sewing machine. Yeah, and I think the sewing machines only cost about $75. Is that not correct? Yes. Yeah, and so we can uh, purchase them and uh, help these poor ladies work their way out of poverty. It's a real blessing to be able to do that and share the gospel at the same time. And God has uh, blessed this this ministry in a mighty way, and I'm so thankful for the for the privilege that Global had to help supply some of these sewing machines. So the Lord bless you, and uh, we thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you know, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of all those who listen and pray for us. I really appreciate those who pray for us and those who remember us in their will or your trust. These are exciting times as we see Russia, the king of the north, coming down into Syria and having an alliance with Iran. And it looks to me like we may be coming close to the end days when our Lord could return and the tribulation could begin. This month, we're offering a booklet by Dr. Fred Hartman by writing Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 
These messages from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning. Printed copies are available upon request. As a background to the matters I'd like to discuss with you today, may I ask you to recognize four facts which are becoming increasingly evident in 20th century society. One, our Western economic and social and political structures founded on Christian Judaic traditions are being undermined and destroyed. The process of economic and social and moral and political disintegration is becoming increasingly evident on every side. Two, our best human efforts to reverse these trends and find solutions to our problems are proving ineffective. The trends continue and our problems are getting steadily worse. Three, it is becoming clear that our only real hope of deliverance requires the intervention of a wisdom and power greater than our own. In other words, the divine intervention of God. And four, time is running out. We do not have much longer in which to make up our minds whether we will continue on as we are to economic and social and moral chaos or turn for help and deliverance to the sovereign God of our fathers whom we have largely ignored in our false confidence in our own abilities to resolve our problems. At such a time, it is worth noting that this is not the first time in history that people have faced a situation of this kind. The inspired scriptures record the example of a people in times past who experienced such divine intervention and were delivered from what seemed to be an impossible and hopeless situation. I refer to the miraculous deliverance of ancient Israel from the circumstances that threatened them with destruction in Egypt some 14 centuries before Christ. In proposing that we examine their experience, I ask you to do so not merely as a review of ancient history, but rather to discover the parallels between the circumstances in which they found themselves and our 20th century Christian Judaic civilization that we may learn from their experience some practical lessons that will help us in finding solutions to our current problems. The ancient nation of Israel represented a people whose position differed from that of the rest of the world of that day. The difference was in their unique spiritual relationship with the living God. That relationship began when God called the patriarch Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and promised that of his descendants he would create a nation distinctly different from all others on earth. 
According to Scripture, they were to be a holy people unto the Lord their God, chosen by him to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that were upon the earth. To that end, God entered into a covenant relationship with Abram and his descendants, under which they were to be his chosen people, and he was to be their God. It is easy to see the parallel between their status and that of Christian men and women in this present age of God's grace. As in the case of Israel of old, the Christian today enjoys a personal relationship with the living Christ as a result of being spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit of God. That relationship puts the Christian in a different category than those who are not members of the family and household of God and of Christ's universal church. The nation and land of Egypt is portrayed in Scripture as symbolizing a secular materialistic society in which there was little, if any, recognition of the one true God. There was lots of religion, but no meaningful relationship with or commitment to the God whom the Israelites knew in a personal way. Egypt symbolized the humanistic and materialistic philosophy of life that has become characteristic of our 20th century civilization. It is a fact of history that the people of ancient Israel were in bondage to the nation of Egypt for over 400 years. Throughout all that time, their best efforts to gain their own deliverance were futile. The situation grew steadily worse, and their future appeared hopeless. But it is also a historical fact that Israel was miraculously delivered by the divine intervention of God. In this 20th century, our Christian Judaic heritage likewise is being destroyed by the present-day forces of humanistic materialism. Our best efforts to halt and reverse the current trends have proven ineffective. In the light of what the Scriptures teach, and in the light of Israel's history, it is not unrealistic to believe that our hope, as with Israel of old, lies in the possibility of divine intervention by the same sovereign God who, as the scriptures say, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Common sense, therefore, dictates that we at least try to discover the steps that can make such a deliverance a reality. Our first step should be to discover and understand the basic cause that gave rise to our problems in the first place. In the case of ancient Israel, the cause might appropriately have been called the lure of corn in Egypt. When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he gave him an all-sufficient promise and undertaking. He said to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God frequently repeated that promise to make certain Abram and his descendants knew that God's commitment was to be the basis of their hopes and expectations and decisions. Everything went fine until the land of Canaan was afflicted by a grievous famine, and Abram and his household began to feel the pangs of hunger. They heard that there was corn in Egypt. 
The lure of the corn was such that Abram left the place where God had promised him blessing and went down into the alien environment of Egypt to obtain corn. Well, he obtained corn, but while in Egypt, something of far greater significance to his future took place. While there, he took into his household an Egyptian girl named Hagar, who became a maid to his wife Sarah. Little did Abram realize that what the ultimate consequences would be. Sarah was unable to have children, and she and Abram became increasingly anxious for an heir. All of God's promises concerning his descendants hinged on Abram having a son. If God would not enable Sarah to give him an heir, they'd take care of the matter themselves. Abram and Sarah agreed that he would take Hagar as his wife. From that unholy union, a son was born to Hagar, and Abram named him Ishmael. The years passed, and God moved to fulfill his covenant promise, and Sarah bore a son to Abram in her old age and called his name Isaac. He, not Ishmael, was the promised heir through whom the nation of Israel was to be established. Ishmael resented Isaac, and Hagar took Ishmael's part against Sarah and her child Isaac, and a bitter conflict erupted between them. As a result, Abram cast Hagar and Ishmael out of his household. Years later, when Isaac grew to manhood and married, twin sons were born to Isaac and his wife Rebekah. They were named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the elder and would have inherited the birthright, but he foolishly was enticed into selling his birthright to his brother Jacob for a mess of pottage. When he realized Jacob had deceived him in the matter of the birthright, he was angry and bitter. And leaving his father's house, he went out and married a daughter of Ishmael, the son of Hagar the Egyptian. From that union came the people referred to in Scripture as the Edomites, who were the forefathers of the Arabs of today. As the descendants of Abram through Ishmael, they continue to claim the land that God covenanted to give to Abram and his descendants through Isaac. The enmity and conflict that developed between Ishmael and Isaac and Ishmael's mother Hagar and Isaac's mother Sarah continued in the conflict between Jacob and Esau and has continued ever since. It is manifest today in the entrenched animosity and conflict between the present-day nation of Israel and the Arab-Muslim world. It has become known as the Middle East Conflict, and to date all human efforts to end it have ended in stalemate or failure. But there's more to the ancient story. Isaac, Ab Abram's legitimate heir, had 12 sons. The younger named Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt by his older brothers. Later, Palestine was again afflicted by another famine, and once more word went out that there was corn in Egypt. Jacob's sons journeyed to Egypt to obtain corn. While there, they encountered their younger brother Joseph, who, through the providence of God, had risen to the second-in-command to Pharaoh of Egypt. Jacob and his entire household moved to Egypt to obtain corn and be reunited with Joseph. They were welcomed in Egypt by Joseph and Pharaoh, and there they prospered. Years passed until, as the Bible record says, there arose another king who knew not Joseph.
the new pharaoh became alarmed at the number and prominence of the Israelites and feared that unless restrained, they would ultimately dominate the land. He therefore appointed taskmasters over them and decreed that henceforth they should be the slaves and servants of the Egyptians. As a result, they found themselves in a state of bondage from which they were powerless to recover even their freedom to worship and serve the God of their fathers. They were still the people of God by reason of the Abrahamic covenant, but they were in an alien environment, powerless to stop the trend that was threatening them with destruction. Their ultimate deliverance through the divine intervention of God is a matter of history. It is one of the greatest examples of the mercy and goodness and providence of God towards those who are his people to whom he has given his covenant promise to preserve and keep them as his own. I come back to what I said at the outset. Christians have become more and more intermeshed with the unchristian materialistic society of our times. The lure of corn in Egypt is something many Christians find hard to resist, but the consequences are the same today as in the past. There's a price to be paid for the corn. Those today who are the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ are discovering the materialistic society of our times is increasingly hostile to our Christian Judaic traditions. There are entrenched trends in that society which not only are anti-Christian, but contain the seeds of its own self-destruction, spiritually, morally, socially, economically, and politically. Both the Christian minority and the secular majority that dominates society are being swept along by relentless tides towards the ultimate destruction of society itself. Man's best efforts to recover himself from these trends are proving futile. We're rapidly reaching the point of no return. We need a deliverer who is wiser and stronger than we are if deliverance is to become a reality. Our hope lies in the divine intervention of God who is the same yesterday and today, and the same as when he made the promise to ancient Israel, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It is clear from this that the key to national recovery by divine intervention is in the hands of the Christian minority. Our appeal through these broadcasts especially to the Christian people of this nation, is to respond to that divine promise before it is too late. Every Christian in this country should spend time in prayer each day, entreating God to spiritually revive his people, that they may be effective in seeking his intervention on behalf of our nation and its people. But remember, you have no access to God in prayer, unless and until you acknowledge your need of his forgiveness and receive his Son, Jesus Christ, into your life as your personal Savior and Lord. I appeal to you to take at least that first all-important step today. If you've never done so before, bow your head as our invitation hymn is sung, 
and ask Christ to come into your life to be your personal Savior and Lord from this hour on. May God bless you. I'm sure this message from God's Word was a real blessing to you. Here at Kansas National Bible Hour, we want to share biblical truth so that people can grow in their faith and grow closer to Christ. But we also want to make sure that people that listen to this broadcast have an opportunity to realize that they need a, a Savior. All mankind are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And of course, all of us know that we're sinners. We tell lies. We do things that we're ashamed of. The Bible goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, spiritual death, separation from God, eternity in hell. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and he will redeem you by his own precious blood and you'll become a new creature. And you can do that by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins and asking him to become part of your life. Remember to order your copy of What Will Life Be Like During the Thousand Year Reign of Christ by Dr. Fred Hartman. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. We also have podcasts on iTunes. Look for Mission Go Radio. And on the web, you can hear our broadcast by visiting www.missiongo.org. We look forward to being with you next week. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you in a mighty way. Good day. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, 
or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongood.org. So we can share more information.